Welcome to Healthcare 2030. This program features conversations and interviews with respected healthcare industry experts discussing the latest topics regarding current issues today and the future of healthcare, innovation, and technology. To learn more about OxioHealth, head over to oxiohealth.io. That's www.oxiohealth.io. Now here's your host, Noel Guillama. Welcome to Healthcare 2030. My name is Noel Guillama, and I am the chairman of Oxio Health Incorporated, a Florida-based healthcare platform company that provides services and technologies to advance the care of patients. I'd like to introduce my partner, Carl Larson, who is the COO of Oxio Health Incorporated. Welcome, Carl. Well, thank you, Noel, and it's a pleasure to be here. Um, we had uh, we had a good podcast, the last one, uh, number 20, talking about the present and future of primary care in the United States. Uh, and I think we're going to pick up where we uh, where we sort of left off. Yeah, I, I think it's a great idea. Um, I think we, we talked about a lot of the challenges of primary care have been having, some of the history of the industry. Um, and I think we're going to continue to talk about some of the challenges and opportunity because right. uh, I am an optimist and I think that the opportunities are material um, to meet those challenges. And I, and I I sort of believe that we can make healthcare better, more efficient, and lower cost. Well, I'm going to say we have to. I don't think we oh. really have a choice. I mean, what we talked about in the last podcast was sort of a, a dilution that's happening in the primary care uh, practice area with the attrition of physicians due to a number of factors um, and and a growing base of of demand with the with the uh, retiring of, of of people in the United States at the rate of about ten thousand per day, that's three hundred thousand per month. That's a lot of people that are entering in the the Medicare program, or at least are eligible for Medicare, which creates a big burden. And that burden is not uniform across all the states, because the the retirement states like Arizona, Texas, uh, and and uh, Florida in particular. Uh, are seeing, a, I think, a, a greater burden. So no, you're right, and and what what sometimes is forgotten, and and I probably would have forgotten it, but the way you said it reminded me. Is you're I, I, I was on the um, on the uh, let's call it a support team to help start or um, organize maybe two medical schools in Florida. Right. And one of the things that that was so critical for Florida, in particularly. Um, is it uh, a few years ago, uh, the average f- physician's age in Florida was 57. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. Um, and I can tell you, because that was the last time it was done the study, uh, the reality is that those baby boomers that we're talking about, retiring at a rate of 10,000 per month. Per day. I'm sorry, per day. Thank you. That includes those baby boom physicians. Sure does. So it's, it, 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 and as I said, the average is 57. Um, that's a big number. So you've got clearly physicians in their 60s and 70s and probably 80s still providing care. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the reality is a physician's probably going to see his first, you know, post, uh, post-education, post-board certification, sort of a, a, as, as fully certified um, boarded physician, um, probably by his early to mid-30s. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that that's realistic. I mean, obviously providing care all through that. But that's that's a big challenge. So we're going to have diminishing number of physicians, 
Um, many people are not choosing to go in the medical field. Well, that's another that's and, another and, good good point to go to. And, and then, and by the way, the thing that I I find stunning in a in a in a, in a good and a bad way is I uh, you know having visited Silicon Valley and venture capital firms and private equity firms is the huge number of physicians that graduated, boarded, went to medical school, did all the residencies, did all the certifications, and then chose to go to the you know the financial markets and right. the investment markets. Right. And those physicians are great. So we've got that that physician that graduated with all the credentials, mm -hmm. but they decided. I don't know all the reasons. I know some of the reasons are financial. Sure. Because if you're you know if you're a uh, even a junior uh, associate at a, at a venture capital firm, the compensation could be dramatic and material compared to physician components. You don't have to set up an office. You don't have to negotiate <laughs> managed care contracts. You're making real money. You don't have employees. And you if don't you have, have all right, the headaches. Right. And yeah. if you have the equity stake, uh, the numbers can be material. Well, let's talk about let let's talk about medical school for 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 a moment. I mean, uh, in addition to the attrition we're seeing in the existing primary care field, uh, we're also seeing decreasing enrollment, I believe, in in medical schools. Number one, number two, there would intuitively seem to be at least a less attraction for an individual going through medical school to choose family practice, to choose primary care, might might be more attractive to choose a specialty area. And again, we've got further pressure on the primary care physician practice segment of our healthcare economy. Right, I mean, most physicians, most, period. Next problem, yeah. most physicians choose a specialty. Right. Okay. And 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 depending on their desires, obviously it's a big deal. Depending on their financial interests, they choose that scale as to yeah. what they want. Yeah. Well, uh, and it, it, you know, radiologists make up can make a million dollars a year. Yeah. Forget about in, interventional. Almost anything can 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 make a material amount of money. Um, so that's a big burden. Physicians are graduating from school with two, three, four, five hundred thousand dollars in debt. Yeah. So you can't blame them for economics being one of the components no, of no. making a decision. And I didn't, I didn't want, uh, and and don't take anything that I said to infer that uh, you know people going through medical school are being mercenaries uh, going after the going after the dollar, uh, because it's certainly not the case. It's too much, too much work and effort. I mean, uh, medical school is something you have to, you almost have to have a love for. In now you have, uh, when I've given. When I've given speeches in front of medical students, um, I tell them that you, I, I literally say this, Carl, I says, you better have a passion. Right. You better have a calling. This has got to be a, almost a religious experience right. for you because this is a tough industry. I'm not a provider. I'm never going to caregiver. Never can. Never will. But I've been on the other side. I've had literally the hundreds of physicians that have reported to me and I've been responsible. I've employed too many to remember. And it is a difficult job, and it's a difficult job because, you know, they have assistants and they have PAs and 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 nurse practitioners, but it's still their burden. It's, well, it's still their responsibility. It, it, it's that, and and having some medical people in in my own family, um, having that life and death decision process, that's a big burden in and of itself. If it were not for anything else, that's big enough. Right. So that goes back to the conversation that we have now. 50% 50, 50 of physicians are, are are no longer in private practice. We talked about that. Yeah. There's a number, and I don't have the number, and I'm not going to look for it, that are not ever entering healthcare. 
the healthcare delivery. They're going into private equity, venture capital, mm-hmm. um, or other things, many other components. Many companies, technology companies, for example, have full-time employees that, that, that work for them in, in, become, in giving that professional component. Right. So there's a, that did not exist that I was aware of 20 years ago. I mean, I know it did, but I, I wasn't aware of it. Now I talk and meet, uh, certainly on Zoom and in other conferences, physicians sure. every day right. we do. That, 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 that are outside the healthcare delivery system. Right, and that that didn't that that was not. Well, I don't it's a remember much bigger component, I think, than it ever was before. Uh, no, for sure. Yeah, the question no is question. how big of a component. So when you start putting pressures on the system, and then you talk about what well, we talked about the physician burnout. Why is the burnout there? And the components are, are really deter- easy to. It, 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 they're easy to determine. Okay, one of them is a physician in many cases spending three, four, five hours a day dealing with electronic medical records and right. entering the information because right. it's required. Right. Physicians are having to deal with independent practices with managed care companies, okay? And these are incredibly smart, sophisticated companies. I'm, I've been on the inside of them. I've been negotiating with the doctors on the other side. And and it, was, it, it wasn't fair. It isn't fair right. because I would send my provider reps and I'd send a vice president provider uh, operations and they were sophisticated, had been in the business, of managed care for 20, 30 years. And they knew more about the physician's economics than he did, or he right. or she did. Right. And it, you know, we negotiated fair prices, market prices, um, but many times we negotiated contracts that we knew the doctors were not going to make a profit. Now, it was their decision to make. Part of the problem is they didn't know how much it cost to practice, run their practice. Right. They knew the aggregate, but not per encounter, per procedure. Or they made a decision that it's better to have some revenue for that time slot, effectively, the no revenue. That's okay. Mm-hmm. We do that in business all the time. Of course. So that's only going to get worse. And now as you push more, as the government, the United States government, pushes more for alternative payment model, models, per, you know, sort of what they call value-based care, um, I think the one that to continue to survive is going to be Medicare Advantage. I, As I said last pod, podcast, I, I don't have great expectations for direct contracting, no right. more than I had it for the ACO model, right. um, because of the investment it's going to take, and it's going to be very rare for these doctors and these groups to go in and make the investment as necessary. Um, and that's going to be it. The problem is going to be the investments in technology and the investment in personnel. So what I see is 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 many more private companies that we ended up last time is coming in and saying we're going to go in there and relieve your problem, physician. You're going to work with us. You're going to be a partner, a shareholder, um, and your job is going to be provide the best care possible. Our job is to give you the resource to do that. That means we, that company, is going to provide the staff, is going to provide the building, the office environment, the equipment. It's going to provide the managed care contract. The doctors are not going to know or care what the contract is going. He's going to he or she is going to get paid, right. and may have a bonus and have stock options like. Like an executive, they're going to be, a, you know, a, I'm going to call it a mid-level executive in an organization, but that's going to take a lot of pressure from them, because, for example, you know, we're talking about in our facilities, we're going to be providing a a a, uh, a scribe for the doctors, right. because even though we built an EHR platform, we understand the complexities of it, and the more the government puts in complexity, the more the difficult it is for the doctor. 
So that's not their job. That's well, not what they're supposed to be doing. No, they're not. I think what we want the doctor to do is concentrate on the patient and concentrate on the patient's situation, not concentrate on the technology. The technology should work for the physician, not the physician for the technology. And, and you know, we face that not with just with physicians, but we face that ourselves using using technology. So, right. So the, what happened, what happened, as I said, what, the hap, what has been happening, especially in the primary care we talked about last last podcast is the doctors are spending all these hours which is causing them by all kinds of stress you know the literally fatigue mm-hmm. uh the burnout it is it's probably impacting their family life and their 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 uh their their their, their quality of life well let's okay? just go back to what we talked about in the last podcast okay the the, the suicide rate for physicians is twice that Reportedly, by American Hospital Association, AHA, twice that of any other profession. So there's evidence that that those pressures exist. They're real, and they're not being alleviated anytime soon. You're right. So what I'm saying is, these companies are going to go in there, and there's a number that are actually public right now. A, a, a couple went public last year. Right. A uh, couple went public this year. A couple are going into SPACs that are going to say to physicians that basically. Um, we'll take care of all the problems. We'll take care of all the overhead. Uh, you concentrate on, on, on patient care. And let me give you an example that doesn't never made any sense to me. Why would a physician spend hours and hours working an EMR um, after hours or during hours um, when the economic value of a physician um, under any scenario is about at least two to three hundred dollars an hour? Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. If, if you're going to look it into a forty-hour work week, that's the economic value of a doctor. Right. You can get qualified transcriptionists all day long for twenty twenty five dollars an hour. Yeah. All day long. That's right. Okay. That's so right. the physician could increase his 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 or her his, right his or her workload. Okay, by seeing more patients, and actually having less stress because he could have a transcriptionist literally follow him around, him or her around, um, as as the quality of care is given. And you know, this is a really interesting value. You should now have another set of eyes. You know, literally, a a, a pair of ears, right? When they're interacting with the patient, the the that person can 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 remind the doctors or can interpret what the doctor wants. Okay, Mm -hmm. the normal procedures, and it's not going to be a caregiver. It can be a caregiver, by the way. It can be be, a physician assistant. But the idea is that the bond between that physician and the and the and the and the uh, the scribe um, could be incredibly valuable. And it would be, I think, uh, for sure, better quality outcomes. In the old days, right. we would have doctors sort of dictate, and and you know, and have transcriptionists so they go into the record. Today, you know, it, it is done really in the EMR. And there are companies that are really betting the whole barrel on voice recognition. And I'm not a big fan of voice recognition because it takes a lot of time to train. And the problem is, a doctor is going to have to read the document. Okay, because it could be error. Sometimes right. you will right. see a doctor, right. uh, and and I, I we had a transcription company for a while, and there was a stamp that was normally stamped in it. It says this has been dictated but not read by the doctor. Mm-hmm. And maybe a little fancier words, but that's what it yeah. said, and that's okay. I mean, we tried and we, you know not to make any mistakes. A transcriptionist would call the doctor. I don't understand this. I don't. You mumbled it. Whatever it is, um, that that we I I'm convinced that you can have much better quality. Okay, between the doctor and the scribe, 
than you could have with a doctor and tra even transcriptionist well, because I, because it's live, it's in vivo, it's happening right there on the spot. Well, and, and, and so question, if the patient, if the question can be answered right then. Exactly. The, yeah. pa the, 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 the patient touches the patient's left arm. The scribe's going to say the doctor touched the left arm. It's not going to be touched the arm. I don't know. Is it the right or the left? Right. So that's a very simple example, but it's sort of that. I think where 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 we're going to head, and I think and I think that what you're going to do is provide a materially better quality of life for the doctors and leave the practice of medicine, the 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 the, the business practice of medicine. Well, it's really about to business. focus. It's really about focus, is it not? I mean, you want the physician to focus on the practice of medicine. And not the practice of business. Exactly, the, the business practice of medicine. I don't even have to say it, but that's probably yeah. the best of the yeah, business might, practice it, of yeah, medicine. Yeah, yeah, it might be. I mean, the other thing is that four to five hours that a physician spends is non-billable hours. Absolutely, the doctor cannot bill any more for that. It no. was a, if it's an encounter-based uh, a practice, he gets it. You know, his encounter-based period. If it's a managed care or capitated base, he still gets the same capitation. Right. So there's no there's no economic benefit. It's, not, uh, it's just like, that, but, like but you have you, you have to do it uh, for government compliance. In many cases, you have to do it yeah. uh, for quality control. In many cases, you have to do it because that's a requirement of the HMO that you're dealing doing business with, mm -hmm. and it's good practice, especially now as pa patients get more sophisticated and they want to see their medical records, so they want to get, get you know electronic version of their medical records. Right. So the uh, some options, some doc physicians opt you know opted to say, listen, we're not going to have electronic medical records. You know, we're yeah. still going to be paper, right. and there's many, many that are doing it. Well, they've 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 actually ditched their and some EMR. have ripped it apart, right? Yeah, but they... the problem is that the patients want it now. I mean, they, well, especially they with the, it. with with the yeah. issue now of COVID and people getting information. Um, I know a lot of doctors realized that was becoming a big deal, mm -hmm. um, and that's really key. And so that's that's a big component uh, of of an opportunity for I think the the primary cares. I believe. That eighty percent of primary cares are, for sure, are going to be working for uh, the hospitals. We're going to be working for large delivery systems, like we talked about, the United Healthcare's of the world, um, or going to be working um, for uh, organizations and companies. So what you're saying is we're moving toward institutional medicine. There's no doubt about it. There's no yeah. way. There's no doubt about it. The question that the physicians are going to have to make is which institution they want to join. Okay, uh, the bigger uh, theoretically you have more stable, but you're all going to have a lot more controls. And if I was a physician, I'd be very concerned, very concerned, post COVID, that the economics have changed uh, uh, for the hospitals, um, and uh, and 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 they may not want to carry the load, the base load of physician practices. So I'm I'm anticipating that in the next three or four years, you're going to have thousand probably to no tens of thousands of physician practices that are going to be spun out of hospitals um they may be spun out into private companies uh that are not affiliated basically they're sort of on their own mm -hmm. uh or they may be sold to uh the the optums of the world uh, which is united healthcare or 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 or, or conviva which is a part of humana or other companies that i'm not aware of on a on a day-to-day -day basis or uh, other companies that are in the sort of the the next evolution of physician practice management and like i said there's a bunch of them right now in the marketplace so you're, you're getting um what i've referred to as a uh, a, a a a roaring comeback okay mm -hmm. of 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 physician right. practice management companies well i mean 
Um, uh, unfortunately, as a as an entrepreneur and and businessman, I look at the institutionalization of medicine and cringe when I when I see that and think of cost and being able to control cost because to me, bigger is not better when it comes to cost control. Those behemoths are gonna are gonna run and not and not and not out of some malicious intent at all, but it's just going to increase the cost of medicine uh, to the population. Well, it, it can, but I'll give you an example where it doesn't. Um, United Healthcare owns Optum, and Optum right. is about a $14 billion, billion. practice, let's right. call it. That was the simplest way to do it, practice. Right. Multi-specialty practice. I don't know how many states, but a lot of states, $14 billion is a lot. Right. It, I don't believe you can create an independent practice at $14 billion and be be efficient because right, it, right. It, you have uh, this way you talked about sort of complex systems and natural efficiencies. What I suspect makes them very smart, very, very smart company, United Healthcare is a very smart company, um, is that their cost structure is sort of a little bit upside down from everybody else. They're getting premium dollars, mm-hmm. okay? So their revenues, for the most part, sort of at the, at the, at, at the uh, at, at at the point of care for their own members, right, uh, is already baked in. The question is, can they be provide it efficiently based on their premiums, right. not based on running the practice or the revenue of the practice? So they're very smart. I have zero doubt that they're making a, a, a material amount of money, either directly making money or by saving money that they'd have to pay to other people, and the coordination of care could also be incredibly valuable. So let's assume that their per-encounter cost is the same, but the coordination of care from their doctors could materially change the needle. Sure. And that's why I, I, I said earlier that I believe the only way we can change healthcare is not only with a much more integration of healthcare, sort of what, what we have branded sort of technology-infused care, not technology-enabled, but technology-infused care, um, but literally by making healthcare uh, better quality and reducing the cost. So because let's, better quality healthcare is lower cost healthcare. That's already been proven. It should be. No, it, it is. Yeah, it definitely. So I want to. I want to take a half step. Maybe it's half step back, but I want to go. You've talked about a couple of uh, pay models. I'll refer to uh, fee for service. You mentioned encounter based, value based care. Um, can we talk about those a little bit and how they impact primary care and 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 what the future is? you know, for these, um, because it seems to me that that plays very heavily into not just, well, I just, you, you coined the term, the the business practice of medicine, mm-hmm. right? So um, what can we, what can well, we- Well, when Medicare, I mean, let's, let's talk about Medicare, which is the biggest, you know, the, the biggest payer. Medicare right. started um, paying fee for service, sort of at large, uh, for the hospitals had to do more co- what they call cost based reimbursement. Right. But let's just say fee for service, and they would say if you see a doctor uh, for this this complexity, um, uh, this you know sort of ICD nine code, the yeah. doctor's going to get paid X amount based on this treatment, and that that worked okay um, because you had a lot of people, uh, very few people in Medicare at the time. And uh, and you you hadn't expanded Medicare, so Medicare's expanded over and over and over, right? Including you know the last one was you know Medicare uh, Part D, which is a prescription package that was done during the um, Bush forty three administration, right? 
Um, so Medicare continues to expand. Um, so fee for service is literally, you know, think about it as a toll booth. You see a doctor, you get paid. That's the, an encounter. That's that's an encounter. What I call, what it's, not I call, but it's called encounter based. Right. Um, the second component that you have um, is general. And by the way, that 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 doctor is going to get paid almost in every case some contracted rate. So Medicare is just going to pay him Medicare's rate. He has no discretion whatsoever. Right. Um, if he has. Uh, contracts with managed care, those are going to be based on that managed care contract, either individually, one-to-one, doctor you know, doctor to insurance company, or it can be in an aggregate, almost like a pool, almost like a purchasing pool. So part of an IPA, for example, is a perfect example. Um, and that and that's what the doctor's going to get paid. Medicaid, by the way, is the same thing as Medicare. He's going to get right. a, a lump sum. Right. The lowest payer generally in a marketplace is Medicaid, then Medicare, then generally commercial insurance. Um, those are sort of the big two big buckets. The third bucket uh, is some kind of value-based care, and most of that, and we've talked about it before, the big one, the big behemoth in Medicare is Medicare Advantage, which used to be called Medicare Part C, where the government pays an insurance company a, effectively a flat rate based on the age, sex, and medical condition of the patient, period. And the, mm-hmm. the insurance company um, the big ones are United Healthcare. Uh, certainly, Humana is a very big player in that space, and almost every other one has some role in that space. Um, they, the insurance companies, effectively taking on the risk, which is what insurance companies do, that that patient is not going to spend more money than they're given at large. Any individual patient might. You may have a patient that has chronic conditions. They could literally be in an ICU when they join, you know, Medicare Advantage, and. They're going to continue to get the service because obviously Medicare is only the quality, the basic service. Right. Um, but you could have a patient that literally, de- and by the way, I've experienced this as a provider, managing the business of 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 of, of practice, uh, medical practice, is I've seen a patient that come into our our panel, and all of a sudden I've got a ten thousand dollar bill that the first day they show up, kind of thing, <laughs> and you know, and Medicare would be reimbursing the or, or paying the insurance company. A few thousand dollars a month, and we'd get sort of you know an incentive to to, to control the cost, right. and literally you're done. And then you also have in the other extreme, is let's call it a 65 year old male or female that's a marathon runner, and just in perfect shape. There's nothing wrong with them. Their annual costs are you know is insignificant. Right. It's more like checkups and, and preventative care than it is actual treatment. There's nothing there to do. Right. So those are sort of the extremes. What is happening more is that. Insurance companies are going two ways. One is they're going to their, I'm going to call it captive delivery system, okay, which is the ones I've talked to, sort of the Optums potentially of the world and and Conviva, for example. Or they're going to organizations, and they can be for profit, by the way, or non for profit, or groups of doctors, and they're saying we're going to we're going to create sort of the MSO model. We're going to create contractually say you're going to take care of these patients, and we're going to give you an incentive to provide high quality care, okay. Because that's really not negotiable. All these organizations, both by mandate and by by corporate structure and and, and by humanity, are all about the quality of care that they give the patients. Right. But also effectively, as effectively and as, as efficiently as possible, and they basically can reward, generally do reward, those companies providing that care. That's where it's going. The, rea- the the reality is going back to the resources. Is that the individual primary care? Or even a group of three primary cares, or four primary cares, five. Doesn't the small numbers does not give them any leverage because they still don't have the resources to go hire 
the case managers that they need to control costs. Right. Um, the 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 ability to go out to go in and review patient files before the patient comes in and anticipate the problems. You know who's getting their mammography or who's getting their prostate uh, examination, et cetera. That's the kind of thing that you need to invest in, and it frankly may take you as a if you're in that component of provider, it may take you one, two, it could take you five years to receive an economic benefit for that investment up front. Right. And that's why it's very, very difficult. And uh, and also the financial risk and the technology risk, because technology has a material place in what I'm talking about, and particularly in managed care, because you, you have the responsibility uh, and, you, and you have a, you know, a pivot point where the information is all gonna come to you. It's either gonna come from providers from you know specialists that are being provide you know that are being referred right patients or it's going to come from the insurance company or it's going to come from the MSO they're going to say here's what happened to this patient what do we do what is the best outcome for the patient i can tell you i've been in those rooms i haven't made any decisions but i heard the decisions the medical decision that the doctors were making well so what i'm what i'm what i'm gathering and you you kind of course correct here if need uh, if if need be but it sounds like a over time, modifying the pay model to more of a, what you've called a capitated rate, a fixed rate for the physician. That eliminates the issues that we saw in COVID of physician practices that had zero revenue over a period of time simply because they couldn't even open their office. Um, so the the capitated rate, they I take it these physicians still got paid. They still got paid. They still got still paid a hundred cents on the dollar right. on their patients. What they now had to do was pivot, okay, and providing remote care, telemedicine, well, or using telephone. I mean, I, tele- telephone is pretty good. Pretty good for most sure. doctors. So so they so, they, they they provided drive through. They did everything they could because they had the revenue coming in every month. Right. Okay. And now they were able to focus, and that that's that's going to be a great example. In a post-COVID, you know, uh, analysis of what worked and what future, did not work. The future, so managed care. care generally worked because they were able to communicate with the patients. They were able to manage the patients. They were able to send resources to the patients. I know companies have sent resources to the patients, right? Not right. just masks. I'm talking about real resources. So, looking back on our discussion of the problems facing primary care and those issues that we discussed about. Oh, we discussed quite a bit, uh, almost exclusively in the last episode um, and the last podcast. So stabilizing the revenue side for the physician is sort of like one component of what needs to happen. But then leveraging that physician through technology is, to me, another opportunity to bolster this, what I, I've called community points of care to bolster and, and strengthen our our population wellness and 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 healthcare. I, I hundred. First of all, you got it. Okay. I mean, the reality is the proponents for changing healthcare start. They're not all of it, but start with three main components. Okay. Yeah. One is the size and scope of the medical practice and the professionalism. And I don't mean the profession of the doctor. I'm talking about how many nurse practitioners they have, how many people visiting nurses they have, how many case managers they have, okay? Right. Those, those how many people are, are, are looking Sup- for quality control. Support, support. All the support the doctor needs in order right. to provide the care. The technology is incredibly important because we're not using technology efficiently and effectively today, right. period. We have a lot of technology running around. 
We have a lot of technology companies, but it isn't changing the needle. It isn't, in, and the way we look at it is we've been, we've had an EMR mandate for uh, nine years. Yeah. No one can tell us that, that, uh, that uh, life expectancy has gone up. No one can tell us that uh, medical costs have gone down. Notice, nobody can tell us that the healthcare delivery system got more affection with the EMR. So you know what? It's not the EMR can't fix it, it can't help it. The problem is we're not using it and we're actually not investing enough. Okay, mm-hmm. it, it's 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 you know it, it, it it's like it, 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 what we need is to accelerate the investments. Okay, not bring back, and, but and accelerate the, 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 them in a targeted way, though. Well, yeah, but f- f- of course. But I'm saying what what is natural when things are difficult. What we what what the industry does and doctors do is they pull back. Right. Okay, so right. they might use an out of date EMR platform, let's call it, or an EMR platform that isn't uh, as effective in communicating uh, as they need to be. So what they end up doing is sort of what they call the workaround. They're yeah. going to do this, they're going to patch it. Why? Because they don't want to spend money, not only on the EMR, but Carl, but a big deal is they don't want to spend money on training the patient, uh, the, the the staff. Right. That's a big deal, both in cost of training and, time. and also time. Yeah. You know, they can't be productive that time. Right. So that's what a bigger organization would do. It says, listen, we're going to have a, an education program for the doctors and the nurse practitioners and the physician assistant and and the the aides and the receptionists that that's what organization can put money into that and we see that in every fortune 500 company how much they spend in training but and the, educating the patient but the small independent practice can't do that no it's got no chance and then when you go back into efficiencies think about it a typical uh, physician practice is a couple of thousand square feet um, they usually one doctor maybe two uh, they've got a receptionist, they've got a, a physician assistant, maybe a nurse practitioner, uh, a phlebotomist, and you've got these people running around Phlebot- in 2000 square feet. Phlebotomist. Phlebotomist. Oh, okay. That's the person that takes blood. Yes. So okay. what happens, you've got these people in the office, um, they all have bathrooms, they all have copiers, they all have EMRs, mm-hmm. okay? So the cost base is there. Um, they're not uh, optimizing all of their cost structure, both as a purchase group purchasing Okay. Right. Um, and 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 creating better utilization of equipment. Well, so it's all the economies of scale. Right. So there's no economies of scale. The doctor's office generally is not open any more hours, and yet the lease payments are the same for 24 hours. Correct. So what you need to do is to expand the time of service. So maybe it's seven to seven. Okay. And you need to aggregate the. the, the so therefore, we think that one of the key components. Uh, in the future of healthcare is actually be the physical plant. What you and I would call the physical plant. Right. People don't talk about that. It's just an office. Well, the physical plant has to be redesigned. I can tell you that I know that from physical experience, from right. operating experience, because I've done over and over when I say this facility is no longer functional. Okay. It has to be redesigned. We've got to take down the walls. We've got to put these walls. We've got to bring in technology. We've got to bring the fiber optic. We've got to be whatever technology we have is not being invested. If you walk into the typical medical office building, at least in the United States, it they, you could take them and they'd literally transport them 2,000 miles and exactly the same. You're walking down a dark corridor, okay? Right. Brown carpet, light brown walls, dark doors. You're gonna walk into a door. You're gonna have a waiting area. There's gonna be three, four, 10, 20 people, okay? And uh, then you're gonna, the back is gonna look exactly the same. So what you're doing is creating, you know, barriers and barriers and barriers. That really works great 
for the landlord, but it doesn't work right for the physician. It doesn't work for, for the patient. So in the reality, it doesn't work good for healthcare. So when you look at healthcare, you got to look at the practice of healthcare and, and how it's component and the resources that you're going to have. You got to look at technology, but you cannot ignore the physical plant. Well, I think that's I, I think that's I think that's great. So what I'm what, what I think what we've covered here in this podcast is efficiencies, efficiencies in patient care. How can we be more efficient in in patient care? How can we be more efficient in physician pay? Okay, that's changing the pay model. How can we be more efficient and leverage the doctor's time, the physician physician staff's time? with technology, and then how can we be more efficient with a physical plant? The reality is correct. The reality is that many organizations, many governments, congressional budget office including, have estimated, okay, that the administrative redundancy, the administrative uh, waste, okay, uh, the administrative over overuse of healthcare, okay, mm-hmm. is somewhere around five or six hundred billion dollars. And that's before you drill in, into what I'm talking about, almost the, the revenue generation per square foot. Right. It's horrible. Right. So I think I think we, we could stop here and maybe the next podcast we, we pick up sort of the practice of how to run a medical practice and what are the challenges and I think what are going to be the opportunities because I am convinced that it's going, it has to happen in the next eight and a half, nine years, period. Right, right. No no question about it. Because and healthcare is going to be $6 trillion. Oh, yeah, yeah. And and these efficiencies are going to have to, we're, we're going to, maybe in the next podcast, we'll put some legs to these efficiencies and talk talk about them in a little bit more detail, right? Well, I think it's a great idea. Thank you very much for listening to our podcast, uh, Healthcare 2030. We hope it's been educational. We yes. thank you for all the comments and encouragements. Uh, we're happy to be in our little podcast booth in our office uh, as thing op- things open up here in Florida. Yep. Thank you very much. We'll see Thank you next you. time. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our podcast. To learn more about our company, please check out our website at oxiohealth.io. That's www.oxiohealth.io.